through the mists of time, in the scrolls of ancient Chinese mystics, hermit monks with secret knowledge of a magical power, beyond the known laws of physics. A power held within all life. A power that once harnessed by the forces of good or evil can infer unparalleled martial skill. Powers to harness the life force itself. Powers to heal the sick. Powers so great that the venerable lineage masters have conferred them only on a select group of initiated kung fu warrior monks living in harmony with nature. Healers trained in the art of quietening their monkey minds and saying to the silent soul of the universe, yes. Despite the mundane drudgery of life, despite the clickbait and KPI, despite COVID travel restrictions and improbable Wi-Fi coverage, over the glistening emerald mountains, there lies a land where prophecies come true. Who wouldn't watch that film? I think I've seen that film. Hang on a minute, I think I was in that film. Of course, all of that only ever happens in the cinema. It's fiction. Hollywood does a great job of selling us attractive myths. Myths are a special type of story. Whilst the narrative probably never actually happened, these stories have their roots in events that seem to resonate with everyday life. In 2008, answering the calling to leave my village of old hamstone cottages and hatchback cars in rural Somerset, England, I bought a one-way ticket to China to study Chinese, translate Buddhist scriptures and learn martial arts. That journey started in the cinema, and maybe in a dusty copy of the I Ching, printed in the 1960s. Like other naive kids, I actually believed in the myths. I believed in the promise of finding the mysterious wind, Qi. 13 years, a degree, some scars and a tattoo later, ironically, I've actually found what I've been searching for all of these years. Following the clues in the weathered texts of the ancients, and aided by spirit guides met along the path, I finally found the mysterious Qi molecule, and it's called adenosine triphosphate. Um, what? You might be wondering by now what plain old ATP, adenosine triphosphate, the molecular currency of energy in the body, which is familiar to anybody with rudimentary knowledge of biochemistry, what this molecule has to do in a story about magical powers. The science story and the chi story are surely conflicting stories. In my journey of discovery into the hidden kingdom of Qi, I found vast magic. The magic that two old stories, the story of Qi and the story of science, actually take place at the same time in the same land. What on earth is Qi? 
Welcome to part two of this two-part series. In the first part, we explored how qi is a character in the Chinese language that forms part of many words and ideas integral to that language. Words which, when you take them abroad to a foreign language, might look a bit like a fish out of water. In part one, we looked at how we define the world along the lines of our own native language, and that therefore, statements about qi might make perfect sense in Chinese, even to those whose worldview is firmly rooted in the sciences. But those same statements, when directly translated into English, might not make much sense. In part one, we then explored some of the ways in which the different characters that can be used for qi describe the natural, meteorological, geological, chemical and electrical forces that make up our universe. All of this was an invitation extended to you, the listener, to take an existential leap of imagination beyond the strict confines of the world that you define along the lines of the English language. This was an invitation to listen to a story, a foreign story, but maybe a universal story, and in that story to see the primal threads that weave your own story. Qi, like energy, isn't just one thing. There are loads of different types of qi. One way to differentiate the qi of the human body is into prenatal and postnatal qi. Prenatal qi, the qi we inherit from our parents, comes from the energy present in the ovum and sperm of a human's mother and father. Sperm pertains to yang qi and the ovum pertains to yin qi. So together, yin and yang form the qi necessary for the growth and the development of a human being. So that's prenatal qi. Postnatal qi, on the other hand, comes after we're born from the nutrients extracted from the food and water that we consume during our life, which the classical Chinese physiologists called grains qi or cereal qi, gu qi. Another source of postnatal qi is oxygen, which in the Chinese language is also a type of qi, called yang qi, extracted from the air that we breathe, called clear qi, qing qi. This nutrition then circulates in our bloodstream in a form of qi called nutrient qi, or ying qi. So, we extract oxygen qi from clear qi, the air that we breathe, which together with the nutrient qi from grains qi, combine through the digestive system together with the heart and the lungs to form another type of qi called pectoral qi, or ancestral qi, zong qi. The character zong means ancestor, root, source or gathering, and it's translated as pectoral as it gathers in the chest, 
after which it's distributed to the respiratory tract and the blood vessels through the action of the heart. So pectoral or ancestral chi is not actually inherited from one's ancestors. It's postnatal. It's developed after we're born. And this pectoral chi is responsible for maintaining respiration as well as vocalization, so speaking. It also assists blood circulation and it supplements another form of chi called initiating chi which provides the spark that initiates life. And we'll talk more about that later. So just as our digestive system extracts nutrients from food, which travels in the blood to the chest, where the heart pumps it through the pulmonary circulation to the lungs to oxygenate it from the air that we breathe, and there in the chest, The nutrition and oxygen is then pumped to the rest of the body by the heart through the systemic circulation. So too, in Chinese, pectoral qi, once gathered in the chest, is distributed throughout the body to provide nourishment. And this is postnatal qi. Some chi of the human body, however, as we saw earlier, is inherited from the ovum and the sperm of the mother and father. So it's prenatal. So what is this prenatal chi then? Well, looking at modern physiology, stem cells represent the body's undifferentiated raw energy to grow into specialized cells that have a variety of functions. Chinese physicians talk of another type of qi called source qi, or original qi, yuan qi in Chinese, as a form of undifferentiated raw energy that carries essential information for physiological processes throughout the body, through the channels and the blood vessels to the internal organs, the viscera, as well as through the thoracic, the abdominal and the pelvic cavities, and the spaces in between organs and tissues, the interstices, to the intercellular matrix. And this source or original chi enables the essential functions of cell production and metabolism to take place. As we'll see later, These spaces between organs and tissues, these interstitial spaces full with extracellular fluids, are absolutely fundamental in understanding the pathways of qi. A basic tenant of Chinese medicine is that qi is a product of the essential substances of the body called Jing, and that consciousness, emotions and the intellect, or Shen, or spirit, is in turn derived from this Qi. So Jing, essential substances, Qi, energy, Shen, spirit. Essence fuels Qi, and Qi fuels spirit. Just like Qi can be prenatal or postnatal, some of these essential substances of the body are prenatal or inherited, like DNA, and some are postnatal or produced after birth, like hormones in the endocrine system and neurotransmitters in the nervous system. 
DNA, hormones, and neurotransmitters are all examples of Jing, the essential substances from which qi is derived, some prenatal and some postnatal. It's from the prenatal essential substances, yuan jing, from the sperm and ovum of the mother and father, that original or source qi is derived. So in the Han dynasty, around the 1st or 2nd centuries AD, in a classic of Chinese medicine called the Classic of Difficulties, we hear talk of source qi as originating from a place in the body called the gate of life. And this place is fundamentally linked with the kidneys. In Chinese medicine, the kidney system, which is the organs, the kidneys themselves, as well as other physiological functions related with the organs, that kidney system is said to be the root of the yin and yang of the entire body. So this place, the gate of life, is linked with the kidneys, and it stores prenatal essence that governs growth, development, and reproduction. Modern physiology identifies the kidneys as playing a vital role in maintaining homeostasis in the body by secreting renal hormones, regulating the vital acid-base balance, as well as controlling blood pressure and electrolyte concentrations. The action of original or source qi, what we call source qi transformation, is suspiciously similar to the action of adult stem cells. Just as adult stem cells enable growth, development and healing, but in humans are finite and used up through the process of life, so too are the prenatal essential substances from which original or source qi is derived. As we age, the prenatal essential substances decline, and so too does our raw energy for healing, original or source qi. Now, I think it would be misleading to think of source qi as stem cells. Rather, stem cells are one cog in the complex mechanism of life that's elegantly summarized by the interlocking relationships of both qi transformation, if that's how your language divides the world, and modern science, if that's the language you're using. Another two forms of prenatal qi are genuine qi, called zhen qi in Chinese, and initiating qi. Like source qi, initiating qi is also pronounced yuan qi, but with a different character from source or original qi. Initiating and genuine qi, these two forms of prenatal qi, are prenatal in the sense that they are transformed from those essential substances inherited from our parents. The ideograph or, or character for initiating qi, yuan, can be translated as beginning, initiating, or even original. This type of qi, initiating qi, is described as being the initiating spark or influence that kick-starts the process of life. Genuine qi, on the other hand, is the energy that circulates through the meridians. 
genuine qi originates in the chest and represents the final stage of refinement of pectoral qi. Genuine qi works together with nutrient qi. Genuine qi is prenatal and it directs postnatal nutrient qi in the maintenance of normal physiological functions. So if the initiating qi and genuine qi of the internal organs flows freely, then a person is calm and the parts of the person are in harmony. So a state of good health is the result of the initiating qi providing the initial stimulus to influence life to begin and for genuine qi to inform cells how to operate correctly. Talking about qi flowing in channels or meridians is, I'm sure, for many listeners, a big bone of contention. Now that's fair enough, considering how Chinese medicine is often presented, complete with magical meridians through which an energy flows that is incapable of being discovered with modern scientific techniques. Whilst that does fit with some people's worldview and experience, Consider, for a moment, a different way of looking at the channels or meridians of qi in Chinese medicine. The notion of meridians evolved over the course of a few millennia of physicians observing that changes in one part of the body are reflected in other distant parts of the body, and that by influencing one part of the body, one can affect change in another distant part of the body. These conclusions still hold up today, and in the case of acupuncture, they hold up in randomized controlled trials, many of which are available at the click of a button on the internet. Subjectively, the meridians also follow lines of sensation. When you put a needle into a meridian, a sensation often radiates along the specific course of that meridian. Whilst the meridians roughly follow the course of nerves, blood vessels and deep fascia, they don't exactly follow the course of any one identifiable anatomical structure. Meridians are one way that changes in and influences on parts of the body are communicated between organs and physiological systems. They're not physical things, but rather gaps between anatomical structures. The communication that the meridians enables occurs through spaces within the connective tissues of the body through which various fluids flow. By changing the circulation patterns in those fluids, the interstitial fluids, systemic and local effects seem to follow. I really like what the great acupuncturist Wang Juyi says about this in his seminal book, Applied Channel Theory. He says, a channel is then like a river in that it includes the riverbanks and also the complexity of life within the water itself held by those banks. In the body, the channels are then groupings of connective tissue that bring together the blood vessels, bones, lymphatic vessels, nerves, tissues and interstitial fluids within their purview. 
Whilst the architects of meridian theory no doubt took basic anatomical structures into account, they were actually describing a broader concept. Channel theory is about human physiology, the evolution of disease, and mechanisms for the treatment of disease. From this perspective, it is not about a magical energy flowing in magical vessels. But if you think about it that way, it might actually be easier to comprehend the complexity. The meridians of qi provide a diagnostic framework mapping out how a physician might interpret observable changes in one part of the body as indicative of changes elsewhere in the body. They also provide a functional blueprint for affecting systemic change, localized change, or change elsewhere in the body. As a scientist, if you zoom into these changes, you won't find a substance called qi that travels through the body, but rather a cascade of complex physiological processes occurring in the extracellular fluids, affecting nerves, muscle tone, vessel permeability, deep fascia behaviour, etc. Without the microscopes and tools of modern science necessary to observe these microscopic changes, Chinese physicians looked merely at clinical results, taking meticulous records over millennia and abandoning what didn't work and keeping what worked. The language of Chinese physiology is therefore a functional language, just like any other language. When you zoom in, you can't actually find the label itself in the object being labelled. Yet, when you zoom out, the language functions to guide diagnosis and treatment day in, day out, for millions upon millions of people. channels are places where there's movement, not just of qi, but also of blood. Qi and blood have a really close relationship. Blood is the mother of qi, and qi is the commander of blood. According to histiology, the branch of modern science concerned with the study of tissues. Achoo! Nope, not those tissues. Sorry, I had to do that one. It was getting rather serious in here. According to histiology, blood is classified as a connective tissue. It has a plasma matrix and it connects various parts of the body with each other, which is a function in classical Chinese physiology ascribed to qi transformation in the organ and meridian systems. Nutrient qi flows in the blood vessels as a major constituent of blood, just as in modern physiology, hormones, electrolytes, proteins, nutrients, etc. are carried in the blood. When blood is poorly nourished by a poor diet, the nutrient qi is weak. Qi is also said to have a warming and propelling quality. When there are clinical signs of qi deficiency, such as poor digestion, weakness, excessive sweating, intolerance of cold, etc. 
Over time, there also tends to be signs of poor blood circulation, or what's called blood stasis in Chinese medicine, such as a darker, purplish tongue and dysmenorrhea or painful menstruation. In my own experience, draining blood from particular areas of the body in different patients, I've witnessed dark and coagulated blood in qi deficient patients, and much lighter, less viscous blood in qi sufficient patients. Electricity, dian qi, is also a form of qi in Chinese. Red blood cell membranes contain sialylated glycoproteins which create a negatively charged surface. This causes viscoelastic behaviour, where red blood cells repulse each other and stop from sticking together. This negative charge on red blood cell membranes is a type of energy, a type of qi. When red blood cells start to lose this negative charge, they start to stick together and coagulate. This coagulation of blood then limits the passage of blood through blood vessels, a passage that's essential for gas exchange at a cellular level. So, qi doesn't just flow in meridians, it also flows in blood vessels. Genuine qi, zhen qi, however, is the specific type of qi that does flow within the meridian system of the body. When this type of qi is associated with a particular organ, it's called visceral qi. So, for example, if the peristaltic movement of the large intestine is compromised and that organ is hypofunctioning, we would say that large intestine qi is deficient. Saying the large intestine qi is deficient is merely shorthand for saying it is hypofunctioning. When genuine qi is associated with a particular part of the body, associated with a particular meridian, we would talk of that qi in reference to that meridian. So, for example, if there's reddening of the skin, heat, inflammation and tenderness along points along, let's say, the foot taiyang bladder meridian, then we can say that there's excess qi in the foot taiyang bladder meridian. If, however, there's darkening of the skin, coldness, atrophy and numbness on points along that same meridian, then we can say that there's deficient qi in the meridian. Of course, to say excess qi means exactly that there's an increased energy flow to that place. In this case, in terms of increased blood flow, increased movement of plasma and granulocytes, white blood cells involved in immune response. Whereas deficient qi means exactly that there is a decreased flow of energy to that place in terms of decreased blood flow, decreased cellular metabolism, muscular atrophy, and thus the beginnings of necrosis. If it doesn't fit with your worldview, don't think for a moment that saying excess qi in the Taiyang meridian actually means that there's too much of a magical power flowing along an invisible pathway. That would be ridiculous. However, if it does fit with your worldview, then it would be ridiculous not to think in that way.
Another form of human qi is defense qi, or wei qi in Chinese, which encompasses a range of complex physiological processes analogous to the immune system. Defense qi has a prenatal as well as a postnatal source, and it circulates outside of the regular meridians to the surface of the viscera and the skin to protect against external pathogens. Defense qi is said to warm the body, as well as regulating sweat to maintain normal body temperature. Roughly speaking, we can divide the qi of the human body into eight broad categories, according to their source, where they're from, their function, what they do, and their distribution, or where they operate in the body. So, we have source qi, yuan qi, which is prenatal, raw, and undifferentiated. Initiating qi, also pronounced yuan qi, which provides the spark for physiological processes to begin. Genuine qi, zhen qi, which is the energy of the interrelated physiological processes that link the body together along the meridians, those interstitial spaces where extracellular fluid flows. We also have nutrient qi, or ying qi, which is the nutrients in our blood and body fluids gained from grains qi. We also have pectoral qi, zhong qi, sometimes called ancestral qi, which gathers clear qi from air and nutrient qi together in the chest. We also have visceral qi, which is the specific energy of specific organs, and channel and vessel qi, which is the genuine qi flowing in a specific part of the body. And finally, we've got defensive qi, which is the energy of the immune system. All of these different types of qi are forms of energy expressed through beautiful interlocking physiological processes. It makes sense to me to think of the molecule adenosine triphosphate, ATP, which is the molecule present in all living tissues in which the energy for life is stored and spent. The bonds between phosphate and oxygen in ATP are in a high energy state. Therefore, when the molecule is broken down in the process of hydrolysis and the electrons go into a lower energy state, a large amount of energy is released. In order for cells to grow, move, produce electrical impulses in our nerves, in our brains, or do pretty much anything active, ATP is used to release energy. ATP enables a process called the sodium-potassium pump, which generates electrochemical energy on cell membranes by changing the concentration of charged ions in the intra- and extracellular fluids that travel across an ATP-powered pump. ATP powering this sodium-potassium pump is exactly like the function of initiating qi, it initiates a chain reaction that creates electrochemical energy. In the long axon of nerve cells, the breaking down of ATP 
initiates the sodium-potassium pump that creates a rapid rising and falling of the charge of the nerve cell membrane called an action potential. And that action potential or nerve impulse sends signals that coordinate the function of organs and organ systems. Whilst the sodium-potassium pump describes the qi transformation of initiating qi, the action potentials themselves, initiated by them, reflects the action of genuine qi. If there was ever a qi molecule, it would be adenosine triphosphate. But despite being everywhere in your body, unless you're a scientist, adenosine triphosphate is not a part of your experience. Zooming into physiology on the molecular level might help modern scientists, but it doesn't really help most of us talk and reflect meaningfully about our own experience of life. It is atomistic, not holistic. And whilst civilization requires high-resolution zoom, most individuals work better zoomed out to the bigger picture most of the time. Reflecting on qi, it seems evident that the character qi serves an important role in summing up the many different types of energy we experience as human beings. In Chinese, the different types of qi not only describe the relative functions of organs and physiology in the body, but also help us understand subtle feelings for which there might not even exist a word in the English language. When beginning to study Chinese medicine on an acupuncturist's ward of a hospital in China years ago, with needles puncturing my skin, I observed the distinctly different sensations traversing my body and how they accumulated around the insertion points of the needles. Some of the sensations were tingly and hot, others tingly and cold. Some were tingly and numbing, others tingly with increased sensation. Some sensations were calming, others disturbing, some made me sweat, others not. English vocabulary falls far short at describing all of these sensations within the body, yet it is these many sensations that comprise our every mood and feeling. Chinese medicine has a systematic, functional lexicon of words to describe the myriad of different subtle sensations experienced by humans. The subjective world of sensations is also the world of qi. In acupuncture treatment, if done correctly, the patient should feel de qi, or get qi, and the practitioner should qi zhi, or feel the arrival of qi. The arrival of qi for the acupuncturist feels like a fish on a hook, biting the bait. This sensation is caused by certain layers of connective tissue responding to minute injury from needle insertion. When the patient gets qi, this means the arrival of an aching sensation that radiates outwards, often along the course of meridians. In this context, then, the presence of qi is just another way of saying physiological changes that bring about sensations. When a patient gets qi, 
awareness suddenly rushes to an area with increased sensation. Again, qi is just shorthand for particular subjective sensations. Another major field in which a non-Chinese speaking person might come across the qi story is in the field of qi gong or internal martial arts. I've already outlined the tai chi mechanism as a confluence of biomechanical processes and mechanisms in a previous episode entitled What on Earth is Tai Chi? So far, the two stories of modern science and qi have charted the same events. However, if you chase qi gong down the rabbit hole, things start to get very wacky. In a future episode of Critical Mind Embodied Spirit, on what on earth is qi gong, I'll tell you the most incredible story you'll ever hear. A series of events that happened to myself that defies reasoning for which I'm going to enlist your help in trying to analyse it. In the meantime, it's worth mentioning that the gong of qi gong means work in Chinese. So qi gong refers to any exercise that works out qi. Now, I hope the question that you're asking in your mind right now is, what type of qi? In the first episode, we identified that qi is just synonymous with energy. Therefore, any exercise that works out your means of energy production and distribution can be classified as qigong. So cardiovascular exercise like running or swimming, weightlifting, sports, all of these forms of exercise improve the free flow of energy in the body, over time increasing the amount available and the efficiency of its use. We've seen that the character qi also means gas or air, and that oxygen, yang qi, is a type of qi. All forms of conventional exercise encourage mindful respiration and work out the lungs, enabling our body to absorb more oxygen. All forms of conventional exercise are therefore all forms of qi gong, yet that doesn't sound very fancy, does it? If I was selling qigong classes, and I am, by the way, students thirsty for the esoteric might be put off by skipping rope or going on a good old-fashioned run. The qigong industry attracts seekers of mystery and mysticism, not plain old jogging. Yet, the most effective qigong for most people might well be some fun, addictive cardio, like playing tennis, swimming or kickboxing. In this episode, we've been through a plethora of different types of human qi in classical Chinese physiology, the very same system that qigong is rooted in. According to this paradigm, any exercise that boosts any one of the types of qi is qigong, 
Yet, when I speak with many Qigong practitioners about what type of qi they're cultivating, I often get a pretty blank look. That's okay, I guess. An intellectual approach isn't always necessary, and great benefit can be gained without knowing or being able to explain exactly what might be actually happening. My feeling, however, is this lack of critical thinking can lead itself to a variety of problems, ranging from time lost without progressing through unfounded ego trips, and even, in extreme cases, abuse of the teacher-student dynamic. In many Qigong systems, the reported mechanism of action is to cultivate qi from the essential prenatal substances called yuanjing, or just jing, from which qi is derived. To circulate the qi through the body with the intention and the help of breath work, or to store and refine it in specific places to be used to nourish and stimulate the spirit, or shen, this practice is called Taoist alchemy. The heart of Taoist alchemy is indeed the process of working with jing qi shen, essence, energy, and spirit. Whilst I've personally witnessed practitioners of Taoist alchemy produce a strong, direct bioelectric current with their body, similar to a mains current flowing in the national grid, strong enough to shock someone and convince even the most skeptical of observers. So more on that story later in the episode What on Earth is Qigong? Whilst I have felt that, it really does seem that most Qigong systems are primarily structural breathwork rather than explicitly bioelectrical. Working with connective tissue and breathing, in my opinion, is not specifically an exercise in Jing Qi Shen, essence, qi, and spirit. Whereas creating a strong bioelectrical current and then releasing it into another human being very much is. Working out connective tissue and doing breath work, however, doesn't sound nearly as sexy as essence, qi, and spirit. Does it? If you liked this content, make sure you hit the subscribe button to hear more from Critical Mind, Embodied Spirit. See you in the next show.